Okay, our text is in 2 Peter, chapter 1, and verse 1. And I've titled this sermon, Obtaining Something Precious. Again, 2 Peter, chapter 1, and verse 1. It's easy to find, comes right after 1 Peter. Okay. All right. 2 Peter, chapter 1. And verse 1, right near the end of your Bible. There he says, Simon Peter, a servant and an apostle of Jesus Christ, to them that have obtained like precious faith with us through the righteousness of God and our Savior, Jesus Christ. Now, shall we pray? Father, a like precious faith obtained by Jesus Christ for us. Lord, I thank you for it. Father, I lack the ability to really make this as clear as it should be. So I pray that thy spirit would do what I cannot do. And I pray that now this will become a personal conversation between you and each person under the sound of my voice that I will only be the vehicle that you use to accomplish that. In Jesus Christ's name, amen. I have been reading recently in Second Peter over the months. Things would take me as I'd be doing my studies and I'd go right back to that. And, and I found as I was going to over, back to it over and over during those months, it seemed like the Lord just kept laying it on my heart to preach through the book of Second Peter. Now, I know better. I know better. Because I told the Lord, I said, look, Lord, I've already preached through the book of Second Peter in our church. Matter of fact, I not only preached through it, I went up in the radio booth and preached through it again on radio, going verse by verse. So I, I know I've done that plenty of times, and, and, and that ought to take care of it. However, God looks ahead sometimes, and all the time, really, and He knows our arguments, and so... In this same very same book, the first chapter of this book, the Holy Spirit of God tells Peter to put them in remembrance. Put them in remembrance. And so I was having a hard time putting down that argument with the Lord. And so uh, I looked over the first chapter again after going through these things and putting them in remembrance. I thought, okay, I'll go back. And I'll see when I preach through it in the church services. And so I couldn't find when I did. Uh, I asked Brother Marcus, did you check uh, when I preached through this? And he says, well, it was on the radio in 2006. I said, well, I better get my old outlines out and see. I preached through this book in 1998. That's 21 years ago. I was thousand years old back then. And so, that was the last century. That was the last century. I preached that in the last century. So, if you were here in 1998 and you sat through it and you heard it, I want you to come back and listen to each sermon to see if I get it right this time. Okay, 
And then if you weren't here, you need to sit here and learn it, all right? And, and then if there's something you don't understand, those that were here, you can say, what, what did he mean by that? And maybe they can help you. Okay, so now, having said all of that, one of the best things that I got when I was just studying through this for a little while before I actually decided to go ahead and do this, there were parts of this that just got me so convicted. I mean, it hurt. I mean, and that, that's what happens usually. When I'm preaching to you and it steps on your toes, it stomped on my toes, okay? So I want you to understand that. But nonetheless, when I read through that book, it would just kind of hit me there and hit me there. But then there'd be other parts in this same book. I'd be reading, and uh, forgive me of the indignity, but I would have a hallelujah fit, okay? Just excited. And boy, man, that is great stuff. So I said all that. That's the introduction to the book. So let's get into it, and then we'll see what the book has to say. Now, I want you to see our position and how it is obtained. So we see first our position. Simon Peter, a servant and an apostle of Jesus Christ. Now, many times when you hear the word Peter, we think of Peter walking on water and suddenly going down. Okay? And, 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 and then we think of uh, the three times that he denied Christ <clears throat> at the trial. It, it, what, I wonder why we remember that, because that same night, just a few hours earlier... When that big crowd of soldiers comes in, he takes out a sword and he cuts off the ear of the, pre, of the servant of the high priest. So, I mean, he, he stood up there and then the Lord says, no, we're not going to do it that way, Peter. And Peter says, what do I do now? And he takes off and he runs with the rest of the group. But he actually took a stand to begin with. And later, three times he denies our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Then I think of the book of Galatians, where the Apostle Paul has to rebuke him for preaching a gospel is for whosoever will. But then when the Gentiles are getting saved and he's sitting eating with them, he gets up and leaves when the other Jewish believers show up. And so <clears throat> we see a lot of failures in Peter. I think in John chapter 21. Remember, Peter denied him three times, so Jesus says, Peter, you love me? Yes, Lord, I love you. But, you know, it's, it, what's interesting about that, the word agape, the highest form of love. Peter, do you agape me? Do you have the highest form? Do you have a godlike love for me? And Peter says, Lord, I feel you. I've got one of the best friendship loves a person could have for you. Uh, Peter, he's asked the second time, do you Agape me, he says, Lord, I, I feel you you. And each time the Lord says, okay, now then feed my sheep. Feed my sheep, what, the green pastures of God's word. And the third time he says, <clears throat> Peter, uh, do you feel you me? Peter's grieved the third time because now he's not just questioning agape love, even his friendship. And Peter says, Lord, you know I, I feel you. You know that. And he says, feed my sheep. Feed my sheep. But now here we have Peter, this man, 
who is a failure. I mean, you look at all these things, he seems to be a failure in so many things, and yet he is a servant and an apostle of Jesus Christ. Who is Christ? He is the creator. All things were made by him, and without him was not anything made that was made. He was in the world, and the world was made by him, and the world knew him not. He was the creator. He was Emmanuel, God with us. He was 100% man, but also 100% God. He was God come in the flesh. He was everything Isaiah 9, 6 said that he would be that was written of him over 700 years earlier, which said that he would be wonderful, the counselor, the mighty God, the everlasting Father, the Prince of Peace. And Peter, who walked with him for three and a half years at his side, listened to his teaching, listened to his personal talk, everything else, and knew that he was the Son of God. As a matter of fact, he gave that testimony. You are the Son. The, the word there of Son was the actual seed of God, not an adopted Son, the actual seed of God. He says, you are the Son of God. Boy, that's great. Peter believed that. He knew that. But he denies him three times. And he is a failure. Even though this is the God he serves. You ever get together childhood friends? Perhaps maybe it's a school class reunion. Maybe it's a family reunion or just, just getting together with some friends from back when you were a lot younger in those years. Why is it they always remember the stupid things you did? As a matter of fact, I have a belief. As many of you know, I'm on the board at the Sword of the Lord, which is a publishing firm that has published even some of my sermons and some of the things I've written. They've, they've actually published that. And I can just, in my mind, think of a group of English teachers turning over in their graves. This boy had four years of high school bonehead English. I mean, while the others were at the smart class, I was in bonehead English for four years, okay? So when I think of things like that, uh, what happened? Well, God could see that, so he has me marry a lady whose strong point is English to type my college papers. <laughs> Typing my papers wasn't the hard part. I hand-wrote those things out first. She had to, to try to discern my handwriting. She, she, she was one, at one time a secretary that did all of the stuff that knows the boss would give her in shorthand. It was easier for her to read shorthand than my writing. Okay, so I, I'm saying that God had to say, well, you know what? That old boy is weak. I need to do something for him. And so he gave me an English wife, okay? And, and he knew I needed her. Now, in Acts chapter 4 and verse 13, they take note that Peter and John are ignorant and unlearned men. Isn't that wonderful to have a good testimony? <laughs> that? Yeah, God, ignorant as he can be. 
And they're ignorant and unlearned men. And yet, the designation he has just given there by the Holy Ghost, telling him to write this word down, he calls himself a servant. The servant was, is the Greek word doulos. You know, there were five Greek words in the New Testament of the Textus Receptus, which is the right text for translating the New Testament. There are five Greek words that are translated servant. The lowest on the totem pole, the very worst, the, the, the bottom of the barrel kind of a servant was a doulos. And Peter says, I am a doulos. It was very humbling. And it indicated that somebody was owned by a master. In that day, a master could take that servant if he messed up and actually have him beaten, whipped. There was some kind of failure. He would have given him a, a, a beating. A doulos served another at the other's will, desire, and interest. Whether it was day or night, the doulos didn't have his own will or his own choices. If in the middle of the night, his master said, get up, you're going here, you're going to do this, he'd have to get up in the middle of the night and go here and do this. He couldn't sit down and make his plans and this is what I want to do and this is what I want to be. No, he was owned. He was owned and he was a doulos. He was at the bottom of the barrel. It was the most abject and servile of all servants of that day. The lowest rung on the ladder. We've all heard the name Charles Manson. It's a name of infamy. I read in that story of one lady who was married and had little children. And she left her husband and those little children to go with Manson to be a part of his group. I cannot imagine a mother leaving her little children, and especially for such a reprobate man as Charles Manson. But you see, that's the thing about sin. Sin is not logical. I mean, if Peter saw Jesus, and he did, raise people from the dead, heal man completely of leprosy, have a storming sea and just calm it and then go walking across that same sea, don't you think that he'd have enough sense not to deny him? But he did. Sin is not logical. So don't try to figure out why someone would dabble. For example, is that lady in adultery? And perhaps lose for her lifetime this respect of those dear children that she bore. That lady did that. 
That's not logical. That, that's not natural. That's, that, that, that's not the natural love that a mother has for her children. That should be willing <coughs> to take a chance to lose the respect of her children. To be with another man. But she did. Sin is not logical. A doulos was a man that served another at dis- the disregard of his own interest. Now, before you are saved, if you are saved, before you are saved, everyone born into this world, whether they know it or not, are born a slave. They're born a doulos. In Romans chapter 6, in verses 16 through 18, we read this, Know ye not that to whom ye yield yourselves, again, to whom ye yield yourselves, and he's talking to Christians here actually, but nonetheless, to whom ye yield yourselves, servants to obey, his servants ye are to whom ye obey, whether of sin unto death, or of obedience unto righteousness. But God be thanked that the heart, uh, excuse me, God be thanked that ye were the servants of sin, that ye have obeyed from the heart that form of doctrine which was delivered to you. Was that form of doctrine? Repent ye therefore and believe the gospel. That was their deliverance. And he goes on there in verse 18, being made free from sin, ye became the servants of righteousness. Now by free will, they chose to enslave themselves to their master, Jesus Christ, to righteousness. But in doing that, having that choice, they did that because they were taking Jesus Christ at his very word. And the Bible says God does not lie. And so taking him at his very word, they believed that, yes, it's tough being a servant. Because of the aggravation of this soil, the aggravation of the work, because this world opposes you, Satan opposes you. Though the aggravation is hard, but the sufferings of this present time are not worthy to be compared to the glory that shall be revealed in us. And that glory is forever and ever and ever ruling and reigning with Jesus Christ. We should never want to be just saved and say, well, at least as long as I'm saved, that's all I care about. Oh, no. You'll be ashamed at his appearing if that's your attitude and you're saved. No, we should want to have the great reward that's laid up. In heaven, they count the loss. I believe that loss is the rewards that were there. That God had already laid aside trusting you. (laughs) See, God wants to trust you. And so he lays aside these rewards for you. Now we must do those things that he'd have us to do. 
to have those rewards. So, as a doulos, he can have no will or plan of his own. It's all of the Lord. He's not going to say, well, you know what? I'd like to do this for the Lord. I, th- I think I'll do No. The Lord had to say, Peter, matter of fact, he tells him in John chapter 21, you're going to die and they're going to crucify you. They're going to take you and they're going to put you to death for this, for the cause of Christ. Those are wonderful, encouraging words, aren't they? But you see, this is where faith comes in. You believe that that suffering will seem minute as if it was nothing compared to the greatness of the glory of heaven, the reward. What is that greatness? I have no idea. I I don't think I can fathom that in this carnal mind of mine. But it is great that it's worth suffering whatever you have to suffer. The Apostle Paul, again, by the direction of the Holy Ghost, referred to himself in the same manner, calling himself a doulos. Why? Well, I believe there's a couple reasons. Turn back, if you will, just one page back or one chapter back. to 1 Peter chapter 5, verses 6 and 7. There we read this. Again, addressed to Christians. Humble yourselves, therefore, under the mighty hand of God that he may exalt you in due time, casting all your care upon him, for he careth for you. He cares for you. The good master, who is the Lord, and we are the doulos, but one thing about this Lord, he has your best interest in mind. More than that, this is God Almighty. Therefore, he surrenders his will for the will of God. Luke 14, 26, If any man come to me and hate not his father and mother and wife and children and brethren and sisters, yea, his own life also, he cannot be my disciple. That's not talking about salvation. That's talking about discipleship. This is talking about Jesus Christ being your all in all. He doesn't choose, this is what I want to do. No. This is the will of God. This is what God wants me to do. He follows God's directions. Even if those directions lead to a fiery furnace. And you have to tell the Nebuchadnezzar whether you kill me or not, whether you put me in that fire and it burns me up, and whether God delivers us or not. I'm not going to bow down and worship that false image. I'm going to stay true to my God. As Job said, though he slay me, I will trust in him. Because I know, I know, Job says, that in the latter days, has been over 3,500 years ago for Job, I know that in the latter days that he, our Lord, shall stand on the earth and I shall behold him in my flesh and not another beholding him for me. 
a resurrection. Job was looking to it 3,500 years ago. It's the resurrection we understand and believe that we can remain faithful and stay faithful to God knowing that he always, 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 always keeps his word. You know, so often people want to choose their own way. You know, I might say, somebody might come up to me and say, you know what, I think God wants me to teach Sunday school. Man, I've got a children's class over here, a bunch of six-year-olds. Well, you know, God's called me to speak only to adults. God doesn't want me to talk to them. Others, you know, they'll volunteer for everything if it gets them out of preaching. Look. Is there, are those things services for God? Teaching children? Getting on a bus? I mean, look. If you're going to admire people, admire far more than you do me. Those guys that are getting on these buses, driving them. Today, got rain and heat and a bunch of noisy kids. You take them, you get up here before everybody else gets up there out of bed, before you're out of bed. And then that afternoon when you're going out to eat, they're driving a bus to take them home. Why do you do that? Because you have a commitment to Jesus Christ. And you actually love the souls of those precious children. Those are the people to admire. Oh, when we all get to heaven, what a day of rejoicing that will be. And we'll find out that the first shall be last and the last shall be first. And so here are these two guys. They have Peter and, and John. They were looked at as ignorant and unlearned men. Dulos, servants. But one thing about the bottom of the totem pole when you're at the bottom of the total pole, you are in a better position for the Lord to use you. Listen as I read from 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verses 16 through 21. For you see your calling, brethren, how that not many wise men after the flesh, not many mighty, not many noble are called. But God hath chosen the foolish things of the world to confound the wise. And God hath chosen the weak things of the world to confound the things which are mighty. And base things of the world and things which are despised hath God chosen. Yea, and things which are not to bring to, thi- uh, to naught the things which are. Boy, am I glad that passage is in there. I really am. That no flesh should glory in his presence. But of him are ye in Christ Jesus, who of God is made unto us wisdom and righteousness and sanctification and redemption, that according as it is written, he that glorieth, let him glory in the Lord. You see, Peter is a due loss. But because he is a due loss, now God can use him. To be an apostle. An apostle is one who is sent. 
And God can take the chiefest of sinners and make him a trophy of grace. You know, the same word for, am, uh, for apostle was, uh, the same form of the word was used for ambassador. God can do this with you. God can do this for you. Remember, it's not your choosing uh, what you're going to do, but rather letting him choose what he wants you to do. Do you realize how special you are if you're saved? Do you realize how special you are? For by grace are you saved through faith, that not of yourselves. <laughs> you didn't save yourself. I don't save anybody for sure. None of us do. For by grace, what grace? God's grace. For by grace are you saved through faith. That not of yourselves. It is the gift. The gift of God. Not of works, lest any man should boast. You see, that's the gift. What we've earned, the wages of sin is death. Final, complete separation from God in the lake of fire. But the gift, the gift of grace is eternal life. But you know what didn't stop there? In Verse 10, he says, for we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus unto good works, which God hath before ordained that we should walk in them. What does that mean? God already had a plan for your life. He wanted you to get saved. He's not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. He, he already had a plan for your life. He already had a plan for my life. That plan was already laid out. He wanted you to get saved because he couldn't carry out the rest of the plan unless you get saved. Now, you took him at his word. You said, him, he said that him that come to me, I will in no wise cast out. And you said, I don't believe God will lie. I don't deserve it, but he'll accept me and he'll save me. And you took him at his word and he saved you. Now, don't stop trusting his word. We are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus unto good works, which God hath before ordained that he should walk in them. An apostle? Looking at Peter, would you think, oh boy, this is apostle material? No. <laughs> we saw all of his failures. Apostle Paul, he put people to death. We see their failures. David, King David, is... A polygamist, he's an adulterer, and he is also a murderer. And God uses that guy. Because God saves and he cleanses and he forgives. Look, a lot of people will still remember, yeah, look at him. Look at her. I know about them. Rahab the harlot. Don't let, you, let that girl come to your church. No. God says, bring them in. Bring them in. Bring them in. See, my thing after I've received Christ is to seek the plan God laid out before the creation of this world for my Christian life and seek to fulfill that plan. And do God's will, God's way, and in God's timing.
That is what I have to do. But look, I can't do that until you're first a child of God, until first he is your Savior. Again, the Bible says, for all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. That includes me. That includes you. That includes everyone in this auditorium. We've all sinned. We've all come short of the glory of God. And the wages, Romans 6, 23, of sin, what we've earned, what we have coming to us, the wages of sin is death. Final, complete separation from God in the lake of fire where there's no escape, where there's no ceasing to exist, where there's no hope, where they're tormented day and night forever and ever. That is what I've earned. That is what I deserve. But the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. And he already promised if you come to him, he'll in no wise cast out. He would have all men to be saved and to come to the knowledge of the truth. There is none other name given among men whereby you must be saved. Oh, my friend, if you come to him, he will save you, and he would even save you today. You say, you believe that preacher? Yeah, because God said it. But you know what? I also, I also, one day believe that this young lady sitting down here when she said, yes, I'll marry you, I took her at a word and hoped like crazy she wouldn't go back on it. And she didn't. And so when that day came, I mean, we walked down this very aisle. This is where we got married. Eight o'clock at night. You know what? I was playing touch football. I was actually playing touch football up to about 5 or 5.30 that evening. You say, crazy? Don't you know you could have broken a leg? Don't you know you could have twisted an ankle? Well, I hadn't planned on doing that. And I didn't. I mean, you know, guys played flag football or touch football. Their touch is, you know, like that. You know, that's touch football. When you're playing that way, pick up games. 5.30, my wedding day, I was out playing touch football. I figured if it didn't work out, at least I didn't waste a whole day. Um, Just kidding, just kidding. Now, what I'm saying is this. There are a lot of things I may have done that wasn't smart, just like Peter. But I know that was the young lady I wanted to marry. And that night I gave her my word. She gave me her word. And we've been together ever since. And that's what salvation is. It's a commitment to Christ. He's already made the commitment to you. And you know what? I haven't been good at keeping all my words to Jesus Christ. But he's always kept his word to me. And he'll keep his word to you. And that first word is that if you'll come to him... He'll in no wise cast you out. Oh, won't you come to him today? Let's bow our heads.